The Eagles facing a Super Bowl juggernaut. Their defense squaring off against a top five scoring offense and the league's leading passer in Tom Brady. But that Philly D has already dispatched a top five offense this postseason in the Falcons and has generated more pressures per game than any team in the league this season. As for the league's leading passer, Tom Brady could become the first quarterback to win the Super Bowl and the passing title in the same year. Of course, would be his sixth ring. That's another Super Bowl record. One for the other hand is, 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 is his slogan now. Instead of one for the thumb from last year. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> Always love that. From the Mystery Science Theater 3000 spoof on the movie Laser Blast. Well, the big question is, are you ready for some football? Well, ready or not, the biggest game of the year, Super Bowl 52, with the underdog Philadelphia Eagles squaring off against five-time Super Bowl champs, the New England Patriots, is less than a week away. And unless you've only just arrived to Earth on a survey mission from some distant world, you know that from Super Bowl madness there is no escape. Because even if you don't give a damn about football in general, or the game of the year in particular, oh, and apologies to our European and South American soccer-playing friends, as yes... We know the American game isn't actually football. You know that the Super Bowl is more than a televised American sports event. From the frenzy leading up to and multi-billion dollar multimedia event during, Super Bowl Sunday now ranks as an unofficial contemporary American holiday and has arguably become an annual world pop culture event. That said, for those under 40 folks, while it may seem that not unlike cell phones, the internet, and YouTube, the Super Bowl has always existed, it's actually a relatively recent creation. To simplify things, check out Wikipedia's not-so-bad uh, Reader's Digest rendition of Super Bowl history. The game was created as part of a merger agreement between the NFL and its then-rival league, the American Football League, which is the AFL. It was agreed that the two league's champion teams would play in the AFL-NFL World Championship game until the merger was to officially begin in 1970. Then after the merger, each league was redesignated as a conference, and the game has since been played between the conference champions to determine the NFL's league champion. Currently, the National Football Conference, the NFC, leads the league with 26 wins to 25 wins for the American Football Conference, which is the AFC. Pittsburgh Steelers have the most Super Bowl champion titles, with six. And my New England Patriots, excuse me, Wikipedia goes mm. and calls them the, but goddammit, my New England Patriots have the <laughs> most Super Bowl appearances, with ten. Uh, Charles Haley and Tom Brady both have five Super Bowl rings, which is the record for the most rings worn by a single player. And, as stated earlier, the day on which the Super Bowl was played, now considered one of the unofficial American national holidays, is called Super Bowl Sunday. It's the second largest day in the U.S. food consumption after Thanksgiving. And in addition, the Super Bowl has frequently been the most watched American television broadcast of the year. The seven most watched broadcasts in U.S. television history are all Super Bowls. And in 2015, Super Bowl 49, where my Patriots battled the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> became the most watched American television program in history, with an average viewing audience of 114 0.4 million viewers, roughly one-third of the entire U.S. population at the time. So yeah, for many, you know, advertisers will be shelling out $5 million for a 30-second ad spot. It, it's a little more than just a game. But hey, 
All that aside, just as with any other national holiday, like Christmas, New Year's, Easter, July 4th weekend, or even Halloween, and yes, to many of us, Halloween raids is a genuine holiday, at least for the kid within us all, the weeks leading up to Super Bowl Sunday are days where diehard fans love to pull out, some might say, out of their asses, another (laughs) another one of those favorites lists. Uh, which is what we're doing today. Uh, you know, how like around Christmas you have traditional favorite Christmas movie lists, which include Miracle on 34th Street, The Bishop's Wife, It's a Wonderful Life, and those non-traditional Christmas lists with Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Love Actually, and the like. Uh, or how during Halloween you have lists including John Carpenter's Halloween, like no duh, right? Uh, the Omen, The Exorcist, Alien, Frankenstein, and more. And even around Easter and Passover, people love to drag out the Ten Commandments, King of Kings, and other ones. Well, for many processed and celluloid fans, the Super Bowl is a pretty good excuse to drag numerous football-themed films off the shelf. Uh, uh, now, b- before you roll your eyes, keep in mind that not unlike many science fiction films or prison films or westerns or even love stories, football movies, and similarly baseball movies, Uh, are very often metaphors for deeper and more significant examinations into the human condition and they're often given credit for on the surface. A film like 1971's still classic Brian's Song with James Caan and Billy Dee Williams uses its football world uh, as a true life story to address um, in a more pop culture arena the civil rights movement of the day. Films like Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday and Ivan Reitman's Draft Day take a look at the multi-billion dollar football industry lined up and paralleled against the smaller and more intimate story of an individual attempting to maintain their personal integrity within or against the cutthroat doggy drug backdrop, right? And even comedies like The Replacements with Gene Hackman and Keanu Reeves, Wildcats with Goldie Hawn, and dramas like The Gridiron Gang with Dwayne Johnson use this sort of Dirty Dozen style format of a group of marginalized losers being brought together and expected to fail by everyone who surprised the world, and maybe even themselves, by becoming more than anyone ever saw them being. So yeah, the football movie deserves a fair, well-earned spot on the genre film shelves, right alongside westerns, political thrillers, historical recreations, and more, which, like the film medium itself, relishes in using the most entertaining and disarming of formats to strip away the outward veneer of society and individuals to get to the heart and matter of what makes both tick and hopefully provides a little inspiration to keep on keeping on, to in life strive for a fresh set of downs, so to speak, (laughs) and that long, at times, brutal slog to the end zone. Hey, there's a lot more going on here than hairy-chested guys in sleeveless tees scarfing pizza and chugging brewskis, regardless of what you see in the commercials. I'm Craig Jamison of Gold Cottage Online. And I'm Jim Delaney of TheLunchMovie.com. And welcome to an all-new installment of The Movie Sneak. Are you ready for some football, a cinematic playbook of our favorite pigskin flicks, and why? Last time we were here, 
We talked about this a little bit. The Giants were having a bad season. Yeah, they're still having one. Yeah. <laughs> still going they're on. not having a season anymore. That's the thing. Yeah, and they then, were. Yeah, and you made a pretty uh, bold prediction uh, about the Eagles. I don't know if you remember this, but we have the footage. Man. Can we take a look at the clip? Give it up to the Philadelphia Eagles. Well done, guys. That's a classy individual right there. This well, is a gentleman. Enjoy it for now until you lose in the playoffs. <laughs> Former New York Giants defensive end and present-day ABC and Fox Sports on-air personality Michael Strahan eating a little crow on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon in front of Philly's own Questlove and the Roots, who brought the house down during halftime at the NFC Championship game where the Eagles defeated the Minnesota Vikings to march into Super Bowl 52. Ouch, as there has never been any love lost between Eagles and Giants fans over the years. <laughs> so, Jim. You had mentioned uh, after the Eagles won the uh, NFC Championship game, and we were batting a few uh, Facebook messages back and forth, you had mentioned how you are probably more a fan of football films than football in particular. However because you're in Boston and you got your Patriots and I'm in Philly and I got my Eagles, there would definitely be some back-and-forth jiving yes. uh, going on, which has, of course, already begun. Yep. And not just between <laughs> you and me, but between everybody in general. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, you have those normal things where the mayors of each city mm-hmm. make a side bet of some kind. Uh, I just saw yesterday that uh, one of the side bets concerned the Rocky statue. <laughs> I didn't, whoa, wait, really? What, what's happening? Yes. Uh, that if... The uh, I mean, usually during sporting events, uh, you know, William Penn statue was on the top of City Hall in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Usually during sporting events, they'll put like uh, during a World Series or whatever, they'll put a Phillies cap on on Billy Penn or a Sixers jersey or something. Uh, they said they would not put an Eagles jersey on William Penn this year. However, if the uh, Eagles win, they will put an Eagles jersey on the Rocky statue in front of the art museum. And if the Patriots win. They will put a Patriots jersey Whoa. on the Rocky statue. Holy that, now that's crap. some major shit right there, okay? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oof. So the Eagles got to win this one. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's dangerous, not just as a football fan, but as a movie fan. Wow. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but uh, other things, too. Like, um, I think I forwarded you the thing about how there was a bakery here in Philadelphia that said uh, between now and Super Bowl Sunday, they won't be selling any Boston cream donuts. Hmm. And in retaliation, uh, the uh, Esplanade in uh, Boston has banned um, soft pretzels, cheesesteaks, Philadelphia cream cheese. Although, Philadelphia cream cheese is not made in Philadelphia. Right. I wish people would understand right. that. It's just the name right. of the thing. But people always say Philadelphia cream cheese. Um, and they've also banned Will Smith and Sylvester Stallone until after the <laughs> Super Bowl, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Oh, but while we're on that cheesesteak thing, I'm just going to say... Whenever people come to Philadelphia, they always say, I, I, I'm sorry, i got to throw this in. Sure, it's a local it. Philly boy. People always say, uh, so Geno's or Pat's? And if you're a real Philadelphian, you usually say, neither. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those are the tourist traps. And no, not gyms either. Those are the tourist traps. Find yourself a great little neighborhood Italian restaurant. And I guarantee you, the local mom and pop places, not even just Italian restaurants, freaking Chinese restaurant, the local mom and pop places will make a better cheesesteak than most of the tourist traps because they got to try harder. They'll load up the meat. They won't use that cheese whiz. They'll use real cheese. Right. I mean, how many people out there are aware of not just cheesesteaks, but the cheesesteak hoagie? 
right? Or the or the pizza steak, you know? Or the chicken cheese steak. So yeah, no slight against Geno's and Pat's. They're Philadelphia institutions, but hey, you can do there better. There are other options. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you want to throw any uh, Boston uh, stuff in there? One of the big things you hear about Boston is lobster rolls, and right now I'm going to say, you know what, forget it. I've never seen a lobster roll that's worth the dough. They're too expensive. Forget about it. But clam chowder, let's stick with proper white clam chowder, like like milk and cream, right, and bacon, and yeah, and a mountain of, of clams and just a little bit of potatoes. Anyway, uh, there's a place around here called Legal Seafood that, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when it was just one, and now there's like a, probably a couple dozen of them in a, in a hundred mile radius. Huh. Um and uh, it's kind of upscale seafood place, and, and now that they have different. Okay, anyway, there you go. I don't want to get too far down there, but basically, they're they're notorious for clam chowder. Uh, um, no, no, it's it's good, it's really good. But uh, <laughs> there's a place called the Union Oyster House, which is the oldest still operating restaurant in the entire country. Wow. And um, and you know they they've made it the right way for practically for a friggin' Paul Revere, maybe not for Paul Revere, but not too long out. Probably made it for his kids. You know, they, they have been out there that long, and it's still, you know, it's a problem. And it is a bit of a tourist trap, like I say, because it is the oldest restaurant in the, in the country. But it, it, it's, it's, they do wow. it right, you know? And, it, and it, you know, it's, it's, um, it is, it, it has been a bomb and pop place just, you know, uh, over, over the years. I mean, it's never been taken over by some large restaurant group. It's a, it's a local institution. And you go there, you get a little bowl, and you'll be reminded why it remains a local institution. Um, yeah, so... Lobster rolls, again, I still haven't found one that I find worth the money. And uh, clam chowder, stick with the classics and you'll be happy. <laughs> and and Finn, I also just want to say, um, uh, I've been around the country and, I, and, and I, I'm a cheesesteak fan. And uh, I still haven't found ones that measure up to, to Philly. I mean, every place like to say, oh, we make them as good as Philly. No, you don't. Stop <laughs> it. So, the, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know any place in Boston that makes one as good as Philly. So, I'll give you that much. Cool. <laughs> and I got to go home and get ready for some football. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> All right, so jumping into this, uh, how we're going to break this up tonight. Um, originally, we were just going to kind of just wing it, but uh, decided a little later on that it probably would be because there were just so many football films, uh, more than we originally anticipated, and we figured we'd just be going all over the map that we had to break it up into categories. So each of us tonight will be talking about uh, our favorite behind-the-scenes football movie. Uh, about the inner workings of the sport and the industry. Uh, our favorite true story, you know, based on a true story football movie. Our favorite most inspirational football movie. And our favorite fictional football movie, which can be a drama or a comedy or whatever. So, starting off with favorite behind-the-scenes uh, football movie. Jim, you want to take the lead on this one? Well, you know, favorite behind the scenes is, is, I mean, the best one I've seen recently that I think is really underrated was Draft Day, but I'm still not going to call that my favorite. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to, uh, and, and Any Given Sunday is great, but it's kind of all over the map. I'm going to stick with uh, the first one that grabbed me as a kid and still grabs me is just North Dallas 40. Kelly is going to take care of us. It's time breaking the old medicine cabinet, sad boy. How's your elbow? God damn it. You know, Ed is going to get your ass for this, boy. Yeah, but then he's going to do nothing to you. Hell, I ain't the one that's done it. Yeah, but you're going to taste something. I'll let you accomplish. They turn me in, they got to turn you in. And they won't do that. That's because I'm a stump. Genuine sports personality. 
A legendary folk hero. Folk hero? Have some much dream. Don't mind if I do. A little carmazine. Alright. Would you like codeine? Does the shark shit in the sea? Come yeah, on, get there some it is. of this. One for me. Thanks. Breakfast for champions there. Featuring, you know, who who I think is an American national treasure, uh, Nick Nolte. And I think mm-hmm. someday people will come around to recognizing that. Um, I was I was about nine or ten years old when this came out. And, and I got to tell you, it scared me. Um, mm. it, it I mean, seeing men in the prime of their lives. Nick Nolte and Mac Davis are our two leads. They were 36, 37 years old when they made this thing. And, you know, I mean, you and I got a good decade on them now. But we're in more spry shape than they were just because they really played... How broken that sport is made, right, them, right? Right? You know, I mean, we see him in the locker room soaking and 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 just dealing with injuries, right? Like the very opening scene is Nick Nolte dealing with just being bashed from the night before, um, and uh, uh, not even that. There, you know, there's some of these movies we can look back on as as being. Relics of a of a time and how and how you know they reflect a terrible time and and this movie does I mean you can look uh, Bo Svensson's uh, character Joe Bob just this guy was like a time bomb right do you remember this character mm-hmm. oh and, yeah and right and he was just, I mean it was and and some people say well that's terrible we shouldn't watch this movie yes yes we should because that 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 character alone showed how men at their worst when they're feeding each other's worst instincts can become really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right and and uh, so yeah, North Dallas Forty scared the hell out of me to see what these guys do off the field and how the only time they're really uh, at their best is when they're on the field. Um, and then you know just the general uh, uh, dealing with coaches, dealing with managers, dealing with players, and and uh, the thing that I really loved about North Dallas Forty, even as a kid, I was aware of the name John Matusak. Uh, this was John's first uh, uh, acting role. And he gets to say, uh, not too much of a spoiler, but he does he does get to have this great monologue, which is probably what every player has ever wanted to say to every coach, every manager, <laughs> and every owner. Do you remember? It's a it's a great scene, and I don't want to ruin it for you. Just to say that you know, if you don't like Nick Nolte, shut up. One, you're wrong. Two, just <laughs> <laughs> but to see this movie, if for no other reason than John Matusak's uh, soliloquy against the entire machine and it's in 1979 before the machine was even the machine it's like he saw it coming mm. so yeah north dallas 40 to me is just uh it's a it's a big warning sign that's as current today as it was actually maybe even more current today than it was yeah, when really. it was made interesting um so yeah for me my uh runner-ups or honorable mentions would definitely be north dallas 40 um concussion you know uh, the film with will smith mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um and and definitely um any given Sunday. So for me, it was a tough call between any given Sunday and my number one pick was my surprise some people because it really wasn't embraced by the general audience. I'm going to go with draft day. Okay, somebody get me Tom Michaels on the phone. Tell me you didn't just do that, Sonny. Michaels, Tom Michaels. Wait, are we on the clock? Tell me you didn't just do that. We just got the number six pick, and no, we are not on the clock. Denver is on the clock. Okay, so we got six. Who are we picking at six? Rick, can you get Marvin on the phone now? Okay, come on. Let me get this straight. In the span of one day, you have managed to burn through three years' worth of number one and number two picks. Is that correct? Yeah. I quit, Sonny. Don't quit. I can't coach a team that doesn't have a future, Sonny. That's the way it works. I got Tom Michaels on the line. Sonny, are we trading six? Will everyone please just shut up? People, please, can I have a moment of goddamn silence while I... 
Do my job here, okay? Look, don't quit, all right? Just let me do my job here, right? Just let me do this. Don't quit now. If by the end of the night you still want to quit, then quit. Just see what I do from here. Your show, Sonny. Tom Michaels is holding. You son of a bitch! Anthony, I need five minutes, all right? Five minutes, and then you can fire me. I uh, rewatched it again a couple days ago, and I liked the film when I first saw it, but every time I watch it, I like it even more. Uh, Draft Day was directed by Ivan Reitman, who many people wouldn't, you know, peg for uh, a drama film. (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of people criticized it because it wasn't Any Given Sunday or North Dallas 40 or I guess the baseball, I'm sorry, the basketball equivalent might be William Friedkin's um, um, Blue Chips, mm-hmm. you know, with Nick Nolte, you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, which, uh, and those are movies that kind of like tear off the veneer and really dissect the industry in not the nicest of ways. Um, some people said they felt that because Draft they had so much cooperation from the NFL that they felt that it may have been a propaganda film. I disagree with that. I mean, it's certainly not a negative examination of the industry but it's not a propaganda examination either actually it's more character study of um i guess what you might call a recurring costner theme in so many of his films where you have one guy who pretty much has to come to terms with his own conscience you know and it's about one person trying to be their own be their own person while the whole world is marching the other way and uh, the whole movie, t- movie takes place in one day, obviously draft day. And uh, he is the um, uh, 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 the manager of the Cleveland Browns. And I love how all the teams they refer are real teams. <laughs> you know, they refer yeah, to all the real yeah, teams. Yeah. You know, and uh, what a cast! I mean, there's Kevin Costner, there's Jennifer Garner, there's Frank Langella. So mm-hmm. all you got to say is Frank Langella, and I'm on board. Done. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've got Kevin Dunn, you've got Terry Crews. Uh, Sean Diddy Coombs uh, is, is in the movie. He's a he's he's a sports agent. Uh, Chadwick Chadwick Boseman uh, in the days before you know right, uh, Black right. Panther and uh, and um, Forty Two. He's in the movie as well. Uh, a lot of NFL people appearing as themselves. Roger Goodall, uh, Jim Brown, you know, and a bunch of other people. And it's really a good movie. It's a very oh, Ellen Burstyn for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. it, just just an incredible cast. And I love how. Some people also didn't care for it. I, I read some reviews that said um, it tries to make drama out of a bunch of facts and figures. Now, personally, I don't mind that if they align those facts and figures in a dramatic way, kind of like Moneyball does. Exactly, yeah. You know, and I, I like Moneyball, and I think Draft Day is a really good football version of Moneyball. You know, um, and uh, anyway, uh, it's a good film. It's a very well made. You know, it is a slick film. Uh, perhaps a little more slick than the subject warrants, but it's a damn good film and uh, worthy of more respect than it received uh, when it opened. And I think, uh, especially around this time of year, it, w- it was also kind of nice because at the beginning of this year, the NFL draft was held here in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I watched it again while the NFL uh, back then when the NFL draft was being held, and it's just kind of nice to uh, to go behind the scenes of what we see on the news every day and see how a lot of this stuff happens, how at the last minute you might have a team who will give up a draft pick to get this or to get that uh, while the clock is running. So, yeah, if those faction figures are aligned in, a, in an entertaining and dramatic way, I'm all on board, and I think Draft Day does that. I promised mothers that I'd look after their sons. There's not one of them left. 
You might cancel the program. This ain't right. I'm sorry. A Jacqueline Gale called. Says he may be interested in the open coaching job. Why do you want this job? When I heard about what had happened, the only thing I could think about was how bad it would hurt if I was to lose before them. And I thought, hell, maybe I can help. This is my varsity team, huh? It's a new day, man. Boston did not take this gesture very lightly. So it seems that before we get to the big game, we first have to make it through what has become a feud over food. The key is recognizing a caller's Boston accent. We've been getting prank calls. It's all because of a decision made this week inside of Southwest Philadelphia's Dottie's Donuts. We're not doing Boston cream. Uh, right now until after the Super Bowl. This culinary choice hit the national stage and stung like a dagger into the cream-filled hearts of Patriots fans. After catching wind, New England fired back. The scenic Esplanade Park in Boston issued an immediate ban on beloved Philly fare, including Philadelphia cream cheese, cheesesteaks, soft pretzels, and Crisco until the Monday after the game. Along with the food, uh, that park in Boston also banned a few other things. I'm going to read those to you. Philadelphia team gear of any kind, midnight green clothing, along with Will Smith and Sylvester Stallone. They can return again after the Super Bowl is over. Let's go get him. Let's find out if he's ready for some football. <laughs> now, as far as our true story, uh, Boy, um, so many good ones to choose from. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's Remember the Titans. Uh, obviously, there's Brian's song, and I almost feel guilty for not going with Brian's song. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you have, you know, We Are Marshall, uh, 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 you know, so many. But I'm going to have to go with the corny and obvious choice of Invincible. <laughs> nice. You know, because uh, obviously there's the Philadelphia thing, there's the Eagles thing, there's the Vince Papali thing, and I, yeah, and, and I guess that's the main reason why. But above and beyond that, um, in the past twenty years, Disney has really carved out a really nice niche of sports films. You know, family friendly sports films, sports inspirationals like um, you know, Miracle about the U.S. Olympic hockey yeah. team, um, The Rookie with Dennis Quaid. Uh, the baseball film uh, Remember the Titans was a Disney sports film uh, Invincible was in that you know uh, same line of sports films uh, <laughs> many of them in fact almost most of them were scored by Mark Isham who's a great mm -hmm. composer and um, I really love the film it was directed by a cinematographer named Erickson Kaur who actually was a cinematographer on some of those other sports films and he actually directed the remake of Point Break which surprisingly I actually kind of enjoyed uh, it's nowhere near the original but it's a lot it's a hell of a lot better than you might expect and uh, I just love the way it's filmed um, he was a DP on the film as well as serving as director and he brings he really captures and you, you, you and I were talking about this um, in fact it was kind of a joke where um, 
we had been mentioning the you know the Mark Wahlberg Boston Philly thing, and we kind of got into this competition. And I had said, well, yeah, well, he seemed to like my city more than yours because he's done all these films here, like Shooter and The Happening and Invincible, and even part of the Italian Job. And you came back with a whole list of Boston yeah, Wahlberg yeah. films. Like I didn't realize that the Ted movies, I don't know, were in Boston and so many others. Um, and The Departed and uh, and uh, uh, Patriots Day. Yeah, right. He's got some. <laughs> yeah, big time. And uh, it, 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 we had said, well, you know, just kind of like that, uh, I guess both Philly and Boston, I don't want to say have always been kind of also ran cities. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're very blue collar cities yeah. that for whatever reason always come after mentioning, you know, New York, Chicago, Miami, you know. Um, and I think both cities are kind of proud of that in a way. They're kind of proud of their grittiness, their grunginess, their blue collarness, if you will. And I love how the film Invincible captures that. Shocking news from today's tryout. The Eagles have decided to invite one man to training camp, Philly's own Vince Papali. In 1976. To make this roster, you must throw away all fear. A 30-year-old bartender. Excuse me, my name is spelled wrong. Nothing personal. But is it really going to matter? Who played only one year of high school football. You ain't going nowhere! Tried to become the NFL's most unlikely rookie. Am I supposed to run all this? You can't wear quarterback pads. You won't last a week wearing those. Nothing personal. It's really gonna matter. Inspired by the incredible true story. The Vincent! You need to show me more than that, Polly! You have a story, my friend. One man is pursuing an entire city's dreams. Papali is not making this team, and I am not going to be the laughingstock among the owners. When I told you not to get your hopes up, didn't mean that I wasn't. Mark Wahlberg, Greg Kinnear. Let's go to work. Invincible. Yeah, obviously you have the whole inspirational underdog thing, which is a big Philly thing. I mean, there's this great meme that I actually uh, reposted earlier this week where it says, you know, Philly, no one likes us. And we don't care, you know, <laughs> and it's so true. And I would say Boston, I think, kind of falls into that same category of small, scrappy, blue collar working folks who don't give a damn what you think about them. And I love how that film really captures that. I mean, it's a great film. Um, also, uh, it, it, everybody talks about Mark Wahlberg. Elizabeth Banks is great uh, in the film. And it really accurately captures the whole New York Giants Philadelphia Eagles thing yeah. uh, not as meanly as say a movie like uh, Big Fan with Patton mm-hmm. Oswalt <laughs> you know <laughs> you know <laughs> but it captures it nicely in a family friendly way but I think uh, what's really surprising uh, Greg Kinnear as Dick Vermeil coach Philadelphia Eagles coach Dick Vermeil who took us to the Super Bowl back in 82 81 81 I'm sorry um, and he really captures to this day, this city loves them some Dick Vermeil. <laughs> Still, even after he left and went to other sports teams, whenever he came back to Philly, this city loved Dick Vermeil. He still does TV commercials for uh, insurance companies. We love Dick Vermeil. And Greg Kinnear captures that quote-unquote corny Midwestern golly gee. Uh, yeah, um, I believe in this quality that Dick Vermeil has. You know, and I think that because I guess the city has had such a history of a bad self-impression, uh, just a, a streak of cynicism, when Vermeil came along with that gosh, gee, Willie, Midwestern optimism, 
I think the, the city just fell in love with that without saying so. And I love how Greg Kinnear kind of captures that without being corny and, and, and anachronistic. So, um, yeah, uh, I think the film Invincible would be my, uh, my favorite true story football film for all those reasons. You know, for, for me, it, it, was, it was a really tight uh, uh, decision. Um, the, my, my, my second, I guess my runner-up would be Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, as neat, not even as much for the team and the football aspect, but just for the way they show the community and what the yes. community does, right? Like, it, like it's like the lead-up to each game and how the whole town galvanizes around that. Friday Night Lights, I think, catches that better than any other sports movie except maybe Hoosiers. Okay, um, I would have to agree, right? yeah. Or, yeah. Or, 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 both, um, both films, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then still, I got to give the edge for uh, to We Are Marshall. And not just because I think it's... it's uh, and this is where I'm, I'm crossing a bit of a line here into the inspirational thing too, just okay. because it's it's um, one of McConaughey's finest hours, and also in sort of that, like you say, the 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 gosh, she Wilkers, yeah, we can do this, and but not just yeah, we can do this, but yeah, we need this. For mm-hmm. anybody who doesn't remember the story or hasn't seen the story, it's it's uh, <laughs> the Marshall University, uh, the entire team, their coaches, the team were killed in a plane crash in 1970, and uh, new coach comes along. Uh, to try to rally the, to try to rebuild the team because he feels like the the uh, the school needs it uh, the how the, the town needs it mm-hmm. um, and he does and the, the whole thing is just you know not even can we go to the championship but can we just like win on our own home ground don't bench me coach Jesus name have you even slept no no not before our first home game your shoulder is a bad shape. Right, the rest is going to do it some good. No, Trust me. no, it ain't. The rest ain't going to do it good. Nate, I'm not questioning your courage or, or, or your drive, okay? My shoulder's fine. This shoulder? It's ready to take the field? Mm-hmm. It's ready for hits? My shoulder's fine. Yes or no? My shoulder's fine. This one? Yeah. That one? Take it like that? My shoulder's fine. It's be a lot hotter than that, Nate. My shoulder's fine. That was my team. <laughs> they left it in my hands. Oh, they, no, 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 they did not. No. They just left. <laughs> then what? 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 I don't know. Crossing, you know, art in life. Uh, I want. I think part of the reason this movie resonated to me was as I'm watching it and as I'm watching McConaughey build this team. Uh, I just kept thinking of uh, the New York Yankees right after 9/11. Hmm, right, okay. like they were already in the World Series. Like they were, yeah, they were going to the World Series, and they made it to the World Series. They lost, but I mean, there was this. But I think it, I'm pretty sure it went down to seven games that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it was, I mean, it was, there was. I don't even remember this, but I, I feel like I remember there being significant discussion about whether or not. 
about what it'll mean for New York if they win and what it means that they even got in. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it was, it was, that was a very loaded World Series because yeah. it was like six weeks after 9-11. And then, similarly, okay, so 9-11, 2001, We Are Marshall was 2006, made, you know, taking place from a movie, from an event that took place in 1970. And then the closest thing that happened in real sports, uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina was 2005, and in, in uh, 2009 or 10, wow. uh, New Orleans Saints, right, basically did what right, right, Marshall right. did, right? So, uh-huh. so basically, you know, <clears throat> art imitates life, and then life imitates art back, you know. And 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 so when I watch We Are Marshall now, it makes me think of 9/11, and it makes me think of the Saints after after Hurricane Katrina, and um, so the movie becomes more than one. It's a damn solid movie. Mm-hmm. It's worth seeing. Period. It's just a really good. Slice of life from 1970, like production design wise, they nail it. Same as Invincible, mm-hmm. um, and two, it's just it's great performances, and it just it it because of its p- point in American sort of cultural history and and disaster history, mm-hmm. which is what weird. I don't think I've ever heard that term before. But <laughs> no, 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 just no. Coined it. But I'm glad but you went a, there. Please yeah, continue. Yeah, just as a just as a as a healing process, you know, for a movie for for the event for the sport to be part of the healing process and then for the movie to document whether it's a, as a documentary or as a slightly fictionalized but just as a celebration an observance of a healing process mm-hmm. that a that a that a sport can do that and then a movie can can retell that story for another generation that's that's why I got to give uh, we are marshall uh, the big nod here and like yeah. I said, I'm glad you went there because um, just to not really sidetrack, but just maybe to delve in a little deeper into a, a, a pot that you just opened up there. I mean, you used the phrase referring to We Are Marshall, how um, it's not like we want to do this or we should do this, but we need to do this. For example, I was talking to my mom the other day and I was uh, talking about a book that I'm working on. And uh, uh, and it's about a topic we've talked about before, how genre films can have a tendency to dive into topics that more quote-unquote serious films can't. Or if more serious films dive into them, people might have a tendency to shy away from them. Um, I think the whole 9-11, post-9-11, excuse me, <clears throat> the whole post-9-11 thing is a perfect example of that. After 9-11, there were some pretty darn good films that came out like um, The Hurt Locker. A lot of those films had a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, some of them won Oscars, were nominated for other awards, Golden Globes and such. But most of them did not do well at the box office. And I think it's because audiences just weren't ready to deal with that directly. Right. But I kind of noticed, um, I was re-wa- I've been re-watching the three Sam Raimi Spider-Man films this week. I haven't watched them in a few years. And if you remember, the first Spider-Man film opened in May of 2002. Yep. Uh, and they had started showing trailers for it before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And in some of those earlier trailers, there was actually a World Trade Center sequence yes. where this helicopter, people robbed the bank, getting away in a helicopter. Spidey spins a web between the two towers, and the helicopter gets caught between the two towers. They cut that sequence out of the final film, of course. you know. Um, but I always thought one of the reasons the film did as incredibly well as it did more well than people anticipated, even the people who made the film, was because it was really the first film after 9-11 to take place in New York, where New York was under siege. Yes, yeah. And it comes through it. Mm -hmm. I think the public subconsciously needed to address that 
without addressing it, if right. you know what I mean, you right. know? And I think that film allowed the public to do that. They could go in and come out safely and feel as though they had exercised some demons that they weren't talking about. And I think that um, film in general does that, and I think sports films in particular do a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that with We Are Marshall, which um, as we kind of dovetails into my next pick. Okay. <laughs> For... Um, most inspirational sports uh, I'm sorry most inspirational football film mm-hmm. and mine might sound ironic as far as an inspirational film but considering what we we're just talking about um, yeah there are definitely inspirational ones you have We Are Marshall you have Remember the Titans you have Brian Song and others but I'm going to have to go with the original The Longest Yard <laughs> oh wow real friendly types you got around here might be your own fault oh really most of these old boys don't have nothing. Never had nothing to start with. But you, you had it all. And then you let your teammates down, get yourself caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Well, I did, did I? Oh, I ain't saying you did or you didn't. All I'm saying is you could have robbed banks, sold dope, stole your grandmother's pension checks, and none of us would have minded. Shaving points off of a football game, man, that's an American. You take your football down here real serious, don't you? You mind if I ask you one question? Yeah, I do. Why don't you do it? It's a long story. Well, I got eight years. Just like uh, sports films, um, I think one of the most incredible overlooked genres is the prison film. Mm, Yes. And I think a lot of people fail to recognize that the best prison films are about life. You know, whether it's a movie like Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, or whether it's Papillon or The Shawshank Redemption or or, or anything. And I think in the best of them, like Escape from Alcatraz, uh, The Shawshank Redemption and Papillon, you have characters who, um, especially in Shawshank and Papillon, you have characters who are constantly proclaiming their innocence. You know, they say, I'm innocent, I don't belong here. But they eventually realize I am guilty of a wasted life. Mm. And if I had not wasted my life, I would not be here. And so, in a way, I should be here. And it's once they confront the fact that they are actually mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if you will, in a prison of their own making, and they confront that, almost like where, you know, they say the first step towards an alcoholic or a drug addict being rehabilitated is to admit that they have a problem. You know, once they admit that I am a prisoner in my own life, then they can plot their escape. And then the escape from the physical prison becomes metaphoric, symbolic of the escape from their mental, emotional, spiritual prison. And Shawshank really does that. Um, Papillon really does that. Escape from Alcatraz really does that. Even, though it's, it's a lot more subtle in Alcatraz. Um, uh, I think one of the most wonderful scenes... Alcatraz is a very subdued film. I mean, it doesn't have much of a score. It's almost cold and clinical. But I think because it's so cold and clinical... When you have these little touches, kind of like um, the character who keeps the mouse, uh, you know, <laughs> in his pocket yeah. as as a pet, or um, Robert's Blossoms, uh, his character who paints, and Patrick McGowan, the warden, one day sees a self portrait that he did of himself, and he asks, in the self portrait, he has a flower, you know, in his pocket, which he doesn't have in real life, and he asks about that, and you get the impression that the flower is his mental and emotional escape you know that's his mental escape from this world and then 
when the warden comes in and confiscates all of his art material uh, and takes it away from him, the guy eventually commits suicide, you know, because that was the, the only escape he had from that mental prison. And uh, and then from that point, their escape, all the other characters, Clint Eastwood and Fred Ward and all the others, their escape, their escape plans are almost galvanized by the death of the Robert Blossoms character. And they almost want to escape for him. You know, <laughs> almost like where, you know, you get a bunch of guys and, and they're drinking and they say, for the brothers who ain't here. And they pour out a little bit of the drink on the sidewalk. You know, <laughs> it's almost like that. And all that to say, The Longest Yard, that's all in The Longest Yard, too. You know, um, I always love uh, Robert Aldrich and his bromance movies, you know. <laughs> uh, I love how you have The Dirty Dozen, you have The Longest Yard, you have the original Flight of the Phoenix. Um, you even have a movie like The Frisco Kid with Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder or, you know, or uh, Emperor of the North with uh, Lee Marvin. Um, you know, so many of these movies, you have guys who were thrown together in a situation not of their own doing, and they have to learn how to not only survive, but to become better people because of it. And I love how The Longest Yard really captures that. Um, the Burt Reynolds character, at the beginning of the movie, you know, it's kind of easy to say, oh man, this movie is misogynistic. The woman at the beginning pretty much owns the Burt Reynolds character. He's a former NFL quarterback. And it's easy to say, man, she's a real stuck-up bitch. But so is the Burt Reynolds character. He's a prick at the beginning of the movie. And she calls him a whore. And he is! You know, he's sold out most of his life. When he gets into prison uh, for stealing her car, and when he gets into prison, we find out that years ago, he shaved points off a game. And there's a (laughs) <laughs> and there's a scene where uh, the character caretaker, uh, portrayed by Jim Hampton, you know, says, "Hey, you know, here, you could have like, uh, you could have killed your mother, you could have stole your grandmother's uh, 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 unemployment checks or whatever. Nobody would judge you for that. <laughs> but you shave points off a game. That's un-American, you know. <laughs> and um, when he realizes that he is a fuck up, that he is a sellout, that he has been a whore most of his life." Uh, and he gets the opportunity to sell out again. You know, if he uh, shaves points off of the game with the guards, the warden will go easy on him. If he doesn't, the warden's going to set him up for the, sorry, spoiler here, the death of caretaker, you know, in, in prison. Hmm. And he has to decide whether or not he's going to go for honor or whether he's going to sell out. And that's the inspirational part for me, you know. And you have this cast of characters, just like the guys in The Dirty Dozen, that you just grow to love. You know, there's Richard Keel, who would go on to portray Jaws, you know, <laughs> and there's Robert Tessier, who would go on to be in the movies like The Deep, you know, all these big, tough guys who um, just become a family, you know. I love how The Longest Yard, um, it was made in the early 70s, and the Civil Rights Movement was still going on back then, and kind of like around the same time as Brian's song, you have the uh, the black players and the white players all getting together, you know, uh, setting aside their prison differences because our common enemy is the guards, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the enemy, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, you know. And so all of that is in the longest yard. So I think it captures the best elements of the inspirational sports film. I mean, it's funny as fuck. It's violent as fuck. <laughs> but it's kind of touching as fuck, too, you know, uh, in the same way that, that the Dirty Dozen is, you know, where it's this big, hairy chested rumble tumble of a movie. But. It was kind of funny. I was watching it again the other day, and I remembered... Uh, I promise, I, I'm wrapping this up. I was watching, <laughs> watching it the other day uh, again, and I remembered years ago, I think I mentioned a story where I was working at a restaurant, and I had a group of 20 or 30 
teachers, women teachers, and they were just chatting back and forth, and part of the conversation ended up being about men. And one of them said uh, said something to me, uh, and I said, you know what? If you want to know everything you ever wanted to know about men, two sources. Read Ernest Hemingway's In Our Time, a collection of short stories, and watch Casablanca and really pay attention. And everything you ever wanted to know about men, the answers are in those two sources. I would add The Longest Yard to that. <laughs> you know, I, I really would. No, I want to hear and why. That's that's good stuff. But I'm, I'm I looking, would add The Longest right, Yard right, in, with, in Our Time with yeah. Hemingway and Casablanca. I would add The Longest Yard. as So, ladies, everything you ever wanted to know about men are in those three sources, including The Longest Yard. What if ladies aren't inspired to know about men? Maybe <laughs> um, Right, right, right. You know well, and I'm kind of glad you said that because that sort of gives me a, a bit of a dovetail because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna step into the wrong sport and throw you a curveball, a documentary. Have you ever seen Harvard BTL 2929? No. It's fun. Wow. And it's a documentary. How often do you laugh in a documentary, right? But right, 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 really. And it's, it's, uh, it's you know, the Harvard-Yale football game is, you know, one of the one of the longer-standing rivalries in college football football, college sports in general, and this uh, movie takes place in the early 70s, when, when, or I'm sorry, late late 60s, when um, Tommy Lee Jones was part of Harvard's football team. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. I mean, he's, 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 he, he is one of the brief talking heads in here, uh, mm-hmm. he pops up a little bit, and this is when, when Al Gore was his roommate. Right, Harvard, his roommate. And they even acknowledge Al Gore. Um, but it's it basically the, it turns into a bit of a classic because you know now we think of Harvard and Yale and all Ivy League schools as being you know nothing but privilege and um, but but and maybe not entirely inaccurate right <laughs> but, but uh, at the time and particularly the teams at the time Yale pretty much still was that you know legacy group of of uh, people whose dads went there. Um, if you were on Yale's football team, your dad was, and you know your granddad was on the rowing team or something like that. Oh, right. It was all it was all inbred wealth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Harvard, Harvard was giving full ride scholarships. I mean, you know, now this is looked at as a bad thing, but back then, like people, kids were kids who could never afford to go to Harvard, um, were going to Harvard on on scholarships to play football. Hmm. And and so basically, there were students who would not otherwise be able to students with pretty good grades, uh-huh. um, good enough to good enough to get in at least on a football scholarship. At least that I shouldn't diminish it that but way. But no, no, I totally know you know what, what you mean. Saying? But so just could, so basically, to go. Yeah. Harvard's team, shall we say, was a little more egalitarian. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So it basically, it actually you know, you hear Harvard, you look at the title and you think, oh, it's going to be rich people versus rich people. It, it actually does turn into a class struggle thing. And the Harvard kids were. Um, Kids from all walks of life, kids from all over the country. John was um, kind of a remote man. Um, he was an intellectual when it when it comes to football. Well, Yamakson was. I always felt. Uh, uh, the perfect sort of model for an Ivy League coach. You know, he's very handsome and intellectual looking, and he spoke intellectually. I mean, I remember we had a fight against Penn. You probably heard the story before, and he came in the locker room, and he wanted to yell at us for fighting. And he said, boys, I've told you many times, no fisticuffs on the field. <laughs> before the first game that we played, um, 
Victor Gatto, the captain, spoke. It was his only um, thought was to remind us that we had a very good chance to go undefeated. And off we went. Yale's team was entirely white. Harvard's team was ethnically mixed. Uh-huh. Um, not not totally mixed the way you know schools are now, but today, I mean, yeah. it was the beginning of it, right? You know, mm-hmm. it was like the baby steps toward that, mm-hmm. and. Um, so it's just you know, hard, and like we've talked about, you know, with the Robert Aldrich films. I mean, it was it was this is a true story of a real Motley crew, um, and the whole thing about them, the, the you know, spoiler again. I mean, it's right there in the title: mm-hmm. Harvard BTL twenty nine twenty nine. It was a tie game, but Harvard was so underdogged mm-hmm. that for them to even come close was inconceivable. Right, right, it just, right. It just wasn't happening, and um, uh, so it's it's just it's. Uh, you know, there's that there's that great line in the last waltz when when uh, Scorsese is asking the band what they want out of the life on the road, what they want out of being <laughs> rock stars, and um, uh, uh, oh my god, the key player whose name is escaping me at the moment, god damn it, um, Richard Manuel mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of looks off into the air. He's not looking at the camera. He's not looking at the man. He says, "Man, I just want to break even." <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool, right, 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 right. <laughs> and, 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 and like the cut. That's all you need for the rest of the scene. It's like a perfect spot. And that's what this movie is. It's just it's just about a motley group that just wants to break even. Mm-hmm. And God damn it, they do. And they and it's just it's it's um. I mean, it actually it actually raised my appreciation for Harvard and made yeah. me see Harvard in a little bit more not a monolithic right right uh, right thing you know and um. So yeah, it's 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 a funny movie, it's an inspirational movie, it's an educational movie for from you know just uh, in, it's a bit of an inner workings. You know, we could also even look at this thing sort of the, the movies we talked about at, at the opening of of behind the scenes because there's a fair amount of behind the scenes. It's just if you like football. And even if you don't like football, you know what? I, I would even say that. Even for people who are sitting here going, yeah, I don't even like football movies. If you like docs, check this thing out because it's really solid. It moves and it'll it'll probably tell you a story that you had no idea about. So, um, yeah. I had be, no idea about that. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. got to check that. Yeah, that's cool. And you know, it also calls to mind the doc that has never been made or the sports movie that has never been made. Um, there's been this little swath. I was in, I lived in uh, outside of Cleveland. Um, when this actually happened, there was this little swath of land that Ohio and Michigan had debated for years, for decades. Mm-hmm. And one year they finally decided to settle it with the Ohio State-Michigan football <laughs> game. And to me, I can't believe there has not been a movie made about that game yet. That an entire, that, that statehood was right, settled right, right. over a college football game. <laughs> where's the documentary? Where's the inspirational sports movie? Where's the comedy? There's a, there's a movie in there. In and, there, and, absolutely. Right? So I, I hope the people who made Harvard BTL 2929 will maybe, you know, go to that story too. Because it's another, another great unsung football story that is tailor-made for a movie. It's a killer. You want to hear it? Can't wait. We play the game again. What game? What do you mean, what game? The game. How many were there, for Christ's sakes? The biggie. Your greatest pass. My greatest drop. Oh, that game. You and me are going to breathe new life into the bowels of our souls. We're going to charge into the deepest chambers where demons lurk, kick the shit out of little bastards, and change the miserable past in the bargain. I like the miserable past, Jack.
Visa or MasterCard? Visa. Thanks. Okay, now you can start. Meter's running. There are times when a man must look deep into the bowels of his soul, right into the darkest chambers where demons lurk. What's wrong, hon? My wife's unhappy. How do you know? Men know. Am I a good lover, darling? The best. Thank you. How do you know we never do it? Women know. Is that what we're going to talk about today? No, no. I'm geared to go dark here today, right into the bowels of hell. Which bowels of hell? Taft versus Bakersfield, 1972. Football. Football. That's a bell of hell, all right. Oh, God damn it. If I just caught that ball, my whole life would be different. This is ace jointers and extruders. Funny Number 441069542. What the hell are you doing? Oh, it's a new rule. We have to call in anything over 50 bucks. This is outrageous. I am emotionally naked here. Well, get a gold card. I don't have to call those in. So final category, favorite uh, fictional uh, 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 football film. Could be a drama, could be a comedy, could be a doc, uh, whatever. Oh, well, obviously, if it was, if, I'm sorry. Uh, if it were a doc, it wouldn't be fictional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> favorite fictional football film. Uh, so, Jim, please. Um, so, yeah, uh, Any Given Sunday is close, mm-hmm. but, and here it comes. Here comes a guilty pleasure. The replacements. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's crap. It's dopey. Um, but, uh, um, but you got Gene Hackman. You got Gene Hackman. Right. You got like just an unbeatable cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, for okay, so for, since it wasn't a big movie, I should fill people in on what it is. It's and it's also it's another of its time sort of thing. Um, strikes were happening mm-hmm. in sports, right, in the eighties, in the nineties, and fans were sick of it. Yeah, right. Like it kept happening. It happened in baseball. It happened in football. It happened with referees, mm-hmm. and fans like you know, screw you, people. You make this much money, right. and granted, there, there there are a lot of extenuating issues there. We could do an entire show just on that, uh-huh. but I'm sure there's already sports podcasts that have done that left and right. right. Basically, it was in the air. Right, it was a thing that was it was a thing that had not yet been addressed in movies. It was a thing that fans were sick of, and if you tried to do this as a as a drama. No one would have wanted to see right, it. Right, right, right. Any given Sunday could have dealt with it. No one would have wanted mm-hmm. to see it. But as a comedy, and basically the thrust of, of uh, the replacements is, his team has gone on strike, and Gene Hackman is the coach. They decide to fill in with, with replacement players, with, with scab laborers, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and Keanu Reeves is this guy who is a college player who, who missed his shot at the pros, and... He ends up being their quarterback, and then you just have yet another motley crew of slobs, mm-hmm. um, all banding together to to form a half-ass football team. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get you the ball. Are you going to get me the ball? Get me the ball. I hope he doesn't kill somebody. I, w- I went to this thing not really expecting much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will be fun. And it was fun. 
It was damn fun, and it's the kind of fun that holds up on repeat viewings. I guess is the mm. other thing that makes it worth it. Is is to me that like you know this is this is one of these movies that when it pops up on cable, I can jump in anytime and be laughing <laughs> inside of two or three minutes. Right? It's just likable. It's a it's a it's got charm, and also again because it addresses something yes. with humor that had previously for years been such a sticking point for fans. Mm-hmm. Like God. Damn it! Like I waited all year for this. Can I just? Can you just play the damn game and give me something to do on my Sunday afternoon with my friends? Right. You know, does it have to be? What? what, what now I have to deal with my family. Right. <laughs> I got to mow the lawn. Now I got to shovel the driveway. Now I got to do whatever because you slobs can't. You know, work your shit need out. An extra right. million dollars. <laughs> right. Um. Uh. And and again, I think and and you know the other upside of this movie is that it doesn't just put it entirely on the the uh team the the uh, the players mm-hmm. uh we see because of how the replacements have to deal with the coaches and the managers and the owners we see that you know this is not just blaming million dollar athletes mm-hmm. it's also blaming the slobs who won't meet them at the other end of the table right, right? so it's so it's basically it's, it it takes this uh labor issue um it 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 takes this uh <laughs> thing that screwed up people's weekends for for you know weeks if not months yeah. And and it makes it all funny and charming and likable, and it kind of makes us all want to... By the end of this movie, you just want to go out and start a pickup game with your friends. <laughs> cool. Right? Yeah. So it, it's it's um, it's it's just fun. It's just uh, everything that... that, that it, it's, it's the longest yard kind of fun. Right. Right? Without... Um, Without without uh, losing Robert's blossom, I guess we can. yeah right right okay right <laughs> you know that's what it is. There's no there's no sad moment. It's just it's just straight through fun. And there you know there are moments where where Keanu is totally set up for action movie quips, <laughs> and instead he just says something you know goofy like yeah whatever like yeah I know you're trying to goad me into a fight but <laughs> right you know I know I'm, I'm I know I'm only here for one season. This is no one's going to remember this. I don't give a crap. I don't care enough to get into a fight with you over this. Let's just get back to football. Uh-huh. You know, and he keeps doing that. And it's also, you know, I mean, I've told you this before. I, I mean, I've, I've met Keanu Reeves one time in my life, and he is just such a likable guy. <laughs> you know, and it, um, I just sat at a bar with him. I was two stools away and just listened to him. And, and there are a few movies that capture sort of the charm of him. And and his it just sort of his... The thing it is that casting directors probably respond mm-hmm. to every time they see him. Um, and uh, The Lake House is the other one. And the replacements, it just feels nice. like this is what this is why this is why people meet him in real life and go, man, how do we channel that likableness into a movie? Well, this is one of the ones that gets it. Like, if you want to know why do why do for the people who mock Keanu, and yeah, there's there's stuff to be mocked there, but for the people <laughs> who wonder like, how does this guy keep getting jobs? See the replacements. That's he's just that likable, and the movie is just that likable, and um, it's just, you know when you're having that unabashed fun, uh, why not just run it you know run it all the way downfield. I have not. Look at that! I made a I have, football reference instead of a baseball. There you reference. go. I have not seen a replacement <laughs> since it first opened. Actually, uh, I need to see it again. I mean, I I enjoyed it. Well, you know, when I first saw mm-hmm. it, but I it's been so long. I'm sure mm-hmm. that all that other stuff, you know, it's like, geez, uh, like almost 15 years or, or more. No, it's like that was the what mid to late 90s, right? Um, yeah, actually, I, I just had, oh, I had it. I had it up on my screen. I want to say because I think I was also in New York when when that happened, which helps me narrow it down to just like a two year. 
Uh, yeah, 2000. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. any given Sunday was 99, and, and replacements was 2000. Okay. They were all pretty much yeah. in the same. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a while. I definitely have to see that again. Cool. Thanks for the thanks for the reminder. Thanks for the heads up. Sure. Now <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. Okay. It. For my uh, favorite fictional uh, film, and yeah, it's really, really tough because there are so many to choose from. Uh, but in the end, I have to go with The Best of Times. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Which I rewatched again the other day. And that's another one of those movies that every time I watch it, I like it more and more and more. Now, it's kind of funny that we both chose what are essentially comedies as our favorite mm-hmm, fictional football mm-hmm. film. But they're comedies that have a lot more going on. For me, um, keep in mind that uh, uh, The Best of Times was directed by Roger Spottiswood, but it was written by Ron Shelton, who mm. uh, two years later would write and direct Bull Durham. And Bull Durham would kind of put him on the map as sort of the cinematic go-to guy for sports movies. You know, Bull Durham and uh, Tin Cup and White Men Can't Jump and uh, uh, on you know and, uh, on and on and on. Uh, uh, the Great White Hype. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's the one with Antonio Banderas? Uh, um, oh yeah, the boxing one. Yeah, um, yes. yeah, but he, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, damn, something to the about. bone. Uh, um, Play it to the bone? Play, Play it to the bone. bone, I think so, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Ron Shelton would become sort of the go-to guy. But um, the best of time was two years before he kind of became a cinematic household name. And for those who are not familiar with it, uh, Kurt Russell and Robin Williams. I mean, if that's not enough reason to see a mm-hmm. movie, yep. what is? <laughs> and they live in a town called Taft. It's uh, a town in California. And um, it's a town that is pretty much dying and uh, sort of symbolic... Um, Basically, Robin Williams and Kurt Russell were on the high school football team many years ago, and the one chance they had to win this championship game, Robin Williams dropped the ball, <laughs> and he has never been able to live that down. His whole life since then has been centered around, I dropped the ball. People never let him forget it. Even in his own family, the arguments he may have with his wife are usually started because of his guilt for dropping the ball, <laughs> you know? And that's just sort of been the metaphor for his entire life. And it's kind of a metaphor for the town, too. The town's dying, everybody's moving away, and uh, the idea strikes him one day to replay that game against their rivals that year. Obviously, they're all older men now. Uh, most of them are out of shape, um, and they decide they're going to replay this game. So that's the basic premise of the film, which is an amusing premise. And, you know, on the surface, you have Kurt Russell kind of dipping back and kind of spoofing, making fun of the kind of uh, Disney kid Kurt Russell back in the day where and even a couple of uh, uh, photographs of him are obviously well, back then we didn't call it photoshopped, you know, <laughs> of uh, from the Disney movie days where he was like in movies like, you know, the computer wore tennis shoes and all those, you know, as, uh, as a young kid. But uh, anyway, everybody's older now. But what I love about the film is that um, Ron Shelton's films, uh, while they definitely deal with sports, they also deal with uh, the great sport of the relationships between men and women. And what I love about The Best of Times, uh, unlike, say, in Bull Durham, um, in the best of times, the great relationship quandary is marriage. <laughs> mm, yeah, and being in, that. you know, um, like Robin Williams is married to uh, Holly Palance, and Kurt Russell is married to uh, Pamela Reed, who's always great. And as the movie opens, Pamela Reed, sh- she's leaving him. She wants to go off. Uh, she wants to start a career as a singer. She feels as though she's dying in this town. Uh, under Under it all, she doesn't want to say... And you gave up, 
you know, your dreams of wanting to be. It's not that he is not the high school quarterback anymore. It's just that I've always thought of the best of times as the comedic flip side of everybody's All-American. Huh. You know, which okay. is another great football film yeah, yeah. Uh, with Dennis Quaid, uh, where you have the quarterback from high school and the prom queen. Now they're older. And the, the glory days are behind them. And this kind of delves into that, too. But what was really neat is when they finally decided, to, yes, you're going to replay this game, the town starts coming alive again. There's, a, I think, two key sequences. There's a scene where they're at the dinner table, Robin Williams, Holly Palance, and, and the girl who plays your daughter. And she's asking why her father wants to do this. And the the mother says, well, hasn't there ever been anything in your life that you regretted and you wanted to a chance to do over again? And she says, no. And it's like, of course not, because you're so young, you know? <laughs> and I remember when I first saw The Best of Times, when it first came out in like 86, I appreciated it, but I was, I think I was really too young to really appreciate it. And watching it now, being older, I love it even more because I get so much of what I didn't get 22 years ago. Um, I mean, there's a scene where there's a, like a dance and they're having a party the day before the game. And they're pretty sure, everybody without saying it, they're pretty sure they're going to get crushed. Because the opposing team, you know, they got all this high-tech training, almost like, you know, Ivan Drago training. <laughs> you know? you know, <laughs> And they're going to get creamed. They, they just know it. And... Um, uh, one of the wives, I think uh, Holly Palance says to Pamela Reed, well, you know, tomorrow is their day in the sun. Let them have it. And then Pamela Reed says, no, actually, tonight's their day in the sun. Uh, tomorrow, they're probably going to get crushed. <clears throat> tonight, <laughs> there's tonight there's hope. And I, I love that line, that the whole movie is about hope, you know. Uh, kind of like what you mentioned about, um, I believe it was um, We Are Marshall, you know. It's, it's like uh, the, the town needs this. And I think life in general... You have to have something to make life worth living, you know, uh, to, to not put too fine a point on it. And while maybe not necessarily a football game, you know, I think everyone, we have to have something. I kind of half-jokingly say, I guess half-cynically, half-jokingly, half-honestly say that most people's lives are consist are pretty much taken up with busy work, trying to stay busy. Um <clears throat> And no slight against having children, <laughs> no slight against working a Monday to Friday nine to five job. Um, those things are necessary, of course, and obviously we got to have children to keep the species going on. But I do think a lot of times people fall back on traditional. This is what I should be doing. I should go to school and then go to this school for four years and then do this job and then have kids because that's how to stay occupied. And not address the fact that maybe you're running from other things in life. Almost like the life's rosebud, you know, Citizen Kane. Um, and I love how the best of times kind of subtly gets into all that. It, it kind of gets into we need something to make life worth living. It's not just a nine-to-five job. I mean, Kurt Russell, he runs an auto repair business and is doing, you know, well. He's not rich or anything, but he's doing well. And he's got the business. Uh, Robin Williams has a family. He's a bank manager. They're doing okay. They're married. You know, on the surface, everything seems to be well and good. But Robin Williams actually slips out and goes to see a masseuse. 
but not for sex. <laughs> he goes to see her and he pays her because she'll listen to him. <laughs> you know, she listens to him. And even she gets fed up with him constantly talking about how he dropped the ball, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> but um, so uh, it, it really addresses the fact that while everything can look great on the surface, if you really don't have something deep down inside to believe in, life is almost kind of pointless, you know? And it may sound cynical and nihilistic, but in the end, the film is very wistful. And it's very, very funny. I mean, you can't get Kurt Russell and Robin Williams on screen together and not have some big belly laughs. Um, but it, it's pretty perceptive, too. And I always thought that that was uh, Ron Shelton's um, forgotten little gem there. Because when Bull Durham came along, everybody sort of immediately started his career from then on. And, and anything that he did before that kind of gets forgotten. So The Best of Times would definitely be um, one of my favorite films from the 80s in general. And uh, definitely one of my uh, all-time favorite football films. Neat. Well, you, yeah, I definitely want to check it out again because, yeah, like 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 you said about Raisins, I haven't seen Best of Times probably twenty years at least on cable, yeah, and uh-huh. uh, and it, it always kind of struck me as funny is that you know having I mean again back to what I was saying about Nolte and and Mac Davis being broken down, I, I totally bought Robin Williams is broken down, but it's kind of cute that that is fun to me that the Best of Times <laughs> tries to sell us Kurt Russell is broken down. It's like right, like, right, 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 right. right, right. You know, Hepburn as the ugly duckling in Sabrina, like exactly yeah, in Sabrina, right, right. Kurt, right. I mean, uh, 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 Kurt Russell could kick yours ass Russell. and my ass right now without breaking a sweat. <laughs> exactly. So, right. um, but <laughs> that that's it. It's still like bad he does he does he does play sort of like you know my life has passed me my the best part of my life has passed me by pretty well and and um but and also like you say like i i i think it's a reasonable assessment that that uh it might have not resonated with me as much because i was about 17 i was the age what? or so 16 17 um that they were when the when the, when when the ball got dropped um, right, but exactly. now that I'm the age that they are, when they when they uh, replayed the game, it, it probably would resonate with me a whole hell of a lot more. I mean, I liked it before; yeah. I liked it a lot. But I bet I, I, after everything you're saying, I, I bet I'd probably like it a whole lot more uh, right now. Um, yeah, that's a that's that's a bit of a surprise pick. Well done, sir. Can you dig it? All right, so Jim, thanks for doing this, man. Thank and uh, I mean, I don't know if I should say good luck in the Super Bowl, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be polite and I'll say good luck may to the you best, and the Pats in the Super Bowl. <laughs> may the best team come in second. There you go. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> cool. And you know what? I just I just want to for because because I know we're going to get letters. I know we're going to get mail just for everybody who says that oh you left out this, you left out that. I got to rattle off a quick few oh. titles, right? Just because. Just, oh, so please, you don't think, just so you don't think we didn't know about the Water Boy right. and Jerry Maguire and and uh, Leatherheads and Heaven Can Wait and Semi Tough and All the Right Moves and the program and you briefly mentioned Everybody's All American yep. and Newt Rockney All American uh, and hell Black Sunday and The Dark Knight Rises and The Last Boy Scout. We ran through all these. Believe me, yep. this this could have been a four hour show. Uh, there were there were so paper lion I briefly mentioned there, there, right paper there, lion there's huh? so many yeah we 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 trust me we considered all these we're just trying to you know steam through with just our favorites we'd love to hear about your favorites you know yeah, go please. to go to the, the uh, movie sneaks Facebook page and post up you know put a clip put a trailer put a still shot put some tell us tell us what your favorite was we didn't yeah. we didn't oh, we didn't skip it out of lack of affection trust me it was yeah, just really really it was time really it hard was time. <laughs> yeah yeah so the efforts were made and and yeah hell uh, Gus the one with the 
Yeah. Right? We even we did actually we emailed about fucking Gus, mule from <laughs> yep. Disney in nineteen seventy six. So yeah, we, we took these all in account and uh, we're just we're just trying to be economic with the time. So please let us know what your favorite was. We love we'd love to hear you. Awesome. <laughs> Big time. Cool. Well, until next time, uh, I'm Craig Jamison of Gull Cottage Online. And I'm Jim Delaney from thelunchmovie.com. And uh, thanks for joining us here at the Movie Sneak. See you next time up there in those cheap seats. Go Pats. <laughs> eagle, I'm not going to sing the Eagle song. I, I am tired of hearing that damn song. <laughs> A reminder that all film, music, and other clips are the rights and property of the copyright holders and are used here for entertainment, educational, and criticism purposes only. 